We are, as, uh, as you may know, taking a little bit of a break from our fall teaching series that we titled People of the Way in order to celebrate this milestone event in the life of our church and of our nation and of God's creation. It's the Thanksgiving moment. And we'll come back to that language of, of moment in just a few minutes. But uh, our thanks to, to those who have already really given the message today, to, to Ruth and Romeo, to David and to Ashley, uh, to Zaffir and uh, Solomon, uh, to Iman and to Lama, um, to you also, to uh, the joyful testimony, Barry and Linda, that you shared. Uh, in, in a sense, uh, all that remains is to honor God by, by grounding what you've already shared in the opportunity and in the mandate and in the command and in the blessing of gratitude, because it's all of those things, all of those things held in together. Let me say especially the welcome to those of you who are joining us online. And we know that represents the vast majority of our people. And it's, it's just it's wonderful to be able to, to have you part of this. And I need to say this morning that I am envious of not just your opportunity, but presumably of your posture. Because on this Sunday morning, you get to recline and wear stretchy pants. And uh, I had to get all dressed up, and my belt is a little tight this morning because last night we really did it. I mean, let me tell you about our table. In fact, let me tell you about our table and the average North American Thanksgiving table just as a frame of reference for what we went and did. How many calories do you think there are in the average North American Thanksgiving dinner? Any guess? 2,000? Up. Any more guesses? 6,000? Well, I want to be at your house. A little, little bit in between. Somewhere between four and 5,000 calories. Here's how it breaks down. Uh, a six-ounce portion of white and dark turkey meat, 260 calories. You need at least two of those. <laughs> One cup mashed potatoes, 300 calories. The way we make it, 600 calories because there's, there's cream cheese and there's butter and there's cream and there's garlic. And, uh, one cup stuffing, 400 calories. Sweet potato casserole with gobs of brown sugar and butter, 450 calories. Does that still count as a vegetable? No. Gravy, half cup, 250 calories. A half cup is not going to float your plate the way you need to float it. So you might want to double that. Cranberry sauce, 100 calories. Two small dinner rolls because we're dainty. Right? 280 calories. Top it off, one slice pecan pie, 500 calories. Total it, add it up somewhere between four and 5,000 calories last night. Just to give you a, a, a reference point for that, to burn 1,000 calories, the average, say, 185-pound person would need to jog nonstop for 90 minutes over a distance of seven and a half miles. Now, if you're a walker, you'd have to hit the pavement for three and a half hours to burn the same number of calories. That's just the 1,000 calories. Remember, we ate four 
thousand calories. <laughs> now, that's not to make anybody feel bad, because we're actually encouraged to do that every once in a while. You just wouldn't want to do it every day. And as I was counting calories this morning, wondering what have I just done to myself, um, I got up early and I, I started counting something else. And I wonder if you could count some of these things with me. Hands up if you woke up this morning with more health than illness. I'm not saying no illness, more health than illness. You are more blessed than a million people in the world who will not survive the week. If you've never experienced the danger of battle or the loneliness of imprisonment or the agony of torture or the pangs of starvation, you are more blessed than 500 million people around the world this morning. Count that. If you can attend a meeting, a religious meeting, a church gathering like this one, without fear of harassment or arrest or torture or death, you are more blessed than, get this, a billion people still around the world. If you'll go home today and you'll look in your refrigerator and there's food there, any amount of food, just some food. If there are clothes on your back, if you have a roof over your head and a place to sleep tonight, you are wealthier than 75% of the world. And if you have money in the bank, in your wallet, or spare change, any amount in a dish somewhere, that makes you among 8% of the wealthiest citizens of planet Earth. How about this? Um, if your parents are still living, and especially if they're still living and still living with each other, still together, that's incredibly rare, even here in North America. If you can hold your head up high here on Thanksgiving weekend with a smile on your face and you truly have those feelings of gratitude, they're not manufactured, they're not contrived, they're not conjoled, you're not doing it because somebody said you had to before you could eat, you are blessed because most people probably should but for some reason they cannot. And if you can hold somebody's hand, or if you can give them a touch on the shoulder, or risk a hug, you are blessed, especially as we come through the fog of this pandemic. You're blessed because you can offer and receive the touch of God in somebody else's life. And we are desperate for it. If you prayed yesterday and you prayed today, you are in the absolute minority and you carry within you the promise that God still hears and answers prayers. You're blessed. So I'm, I guess I'm not saying don't count calories, but let's count on some other things too. Throughout the weekend, yesterday, today, tomorrow, uh, families in whatever capacity they're able at whatever comfort level they have will celebrate the Thanksgiving weekend. Homes are going to be decorated with squash and pumpkins and multicolored leaves and grapevines, other products, whatever it is that you do to recognize the provision of God's good earth. 
And families will get together in different forms and in different facets, and some of them will sit down to the meal. In our case, the Thanksgiving dinner, the turkey, all the trimmings, and the apple cider, and the pumpkin pie. Did I see pecan pie earlier? We have both. (laughs) And we will reward ourselves, not because we deserve it, but as a way of recognizing that there is goodness in the world. And it all comes from God. And hopefully as we do so, we'll remember those who aren't able to do that. And so we'll also be a part of hosting and holding dinners at shelters and supporting the work of soup kitchens and giving a little bit extra to families who are in need. And and the hope and the prayer behind it is that everybody gets to enjoy a little bit. And that's all of that is good. I mean, let's just say that. It's all good. But in a sense, it might also be bad. And hear me out on this one. It's good because I think it's right and it's appropriate that we should feast and we should enjoy God and the company of God's people. We should give Him thanks for what we have and we share the abundance of God's earth. All of that's good. We We express our appreciation and our gratitude. But here's why it's bad. Because depending on our overall attitude and our approach to life, and for what God has done for us, and with us, and in us, uh, it sometimes feels relegated or confined to a moment, to a practice, and and not to not to an attitude, and and not to a lifestyle. Remember, we're talking about the practices of God's people on the way on the journey? What are the things that set them apart as God's people on the way? Radical gratitude was one of the dominant characteristics of God's first people. Some of you remember, maybe not many left, there was an old television series about Ma and Pa Kettle. Does anybody remember that, Ma and Pa Kettle? A few, okay. Well, do you remember this scene, classic scene repeated in many of the episodes? Ma Kettle would bang on the triangle out on the porch and from from every corner of the farm would come hordes of screaming children. They'd come, they'd fight their way into the house, find a seat at the table, and they'd sit down and all this food would be there and Ma, in her most commanding voice, would say, Hold it! And everybody would freeze in silence. And Pa Kettle would turn his eyes heavenward and he would tip his hat and say, much obliged, much obliged. And then immediately the melee would begin as just as abruptly as it had stopped. Sometimes Thanksgiving feels like just a tip of the hat, doesn't it? We're thankful. God calls us, invites us, rewards us with more than just that. From way back in the time of Moses, the earliest days of the Old Testament, you know, he, he calls us to lives of thanksgiving. Here's the difference. Thanksgiving is a terminal event. I don't mean fatal, though it would be 4,000 calories a day if you did that day after day. I, I don't mean a fatal event, but it's a terminal event. It has a beginning it has an end. And maybe on that day you feel terminal because you know too much tryptophan and the turkey or whatever. But, but a holiday, like any day, is a terminal event. has a beginning, has an end. Thanks living, 
as we titled the message, I think every pastor in every church at some point has given a message called Thanks Living. But it's a reminder that that this points towards a change of attitude, a, a remarkable change of character that is not terminal, that is not confined to a moment. And from the very beginning, it was that characteristic, among a few others, that defined the people of God. So don't get me wrong. I, I, I love the weekend. I love the holiday. I like what it stands for. I like what it does. Uh, I think it's a good practice to stop and to remember and to be very practical about how we express our gratitude. But not just for a moment. And not just for a day. Because the temptation then is to go running back to the normal routines of our lives. Routines that, for the most part, are all about self-sufficiency. Let me pause. Um, Gateway, there are people that are locked out that are at the back door trying to get in. Thanks so much. Um, We say to ourselves, or we whisper, uh, it's... It's my ability, it's my energy, it's my skills that have got me this far. Um, I work hard for the money that puts the food on the table. I have earned it. And somehow that sense of merit turns to a sense of expectation. And then expectation turns to privilege, and privilege turns to entitlement. And then the whole thing comes off the rails because somehow we've convinced ourselves that we deserve it. We see it in ourselves. We see it in our children. Uh, They are ever so grateful momentarily when we give them something, but how quickly we forget our thankfulness. Giving thanks doesn't come naturally, does it? We have to ingrain it in our kids with a thousand reminders to say please and to say thank you. And then we look at ourselves and wonder, well, did we ever really learn it? Are we so different from our kids? Don't we always want newer or better or stronger? That's certainly the impression you get when you follow the trends and you follow the ads. SUVs one-upping each other with their immensity. Sneakers outdoing each other with their technology. TVs bigger, cell phones smaller, houses bigger, yards smaller, because all that stuff we buy has to go indoors. You can't leave it outdoors. There's an insanity to all of it, and we love to be part of the insanity. We're just we're residents of the same asylum, and we fill our lives with things only to find out that they don't really feel full after all. If we're not careful, Thanksgiving becomes just another occasion to take inventory of our stuff. The way of Jesus is clear. We've been studying the way. After this pause, we'll return to the study of the way for the coming weeks. But It's taught in the pages of Scripture. It's modeled in the life of Jesus Consumption, consumption is, is not an answer to real human needs. It's not a solution. In fact, it is an addiction. It doesn't solve problems. It perpetuates them. Long ago, and uh, if you've been with us, you know we've been studying this. Long ago, the Christian church discovered in the ancient rhythms and practices of the way 
they discovered the secret to overcoming addiction. It begins by acknowledging that there are things in the world that have power over us. And then turning to something that has power over them and surrendering to that power. And we've used three simple phrases to summarize that truth. I can't. God can. I think I'll let him. Well done, you remember. (laughs) As we do it, we humble ourselves before God and we acknowledge that ultimately, yes, he's the source of all of the things that, that populate our lives, but that the awareness of their source more than the acknowledgement of their presence allows our joy to become fuller. It allows us to enter into, I guess to use, uh, if I can, that, that, that religious little bit of language, into a state of grace. You get to be in kind of a state of grace. Grace, if you need a definition, is that, is that incredible, undeserved, uncountable, unpayable gift from God that gives life its purpose and hope and meaning and eternal possibilities. That's grace. And grace doesn't fit neatly in the columns of a ledger. And we base so much of our lives on ledgers and balance sheets. We can't buy into the idea, not without an awful lot of help, that we really get something for nothing that makes us suspicious. There's got to be a catch. There has to be something there. And as long as our lives get caught up in the ledger, in the cycle of buying and sending, spending and saving, of consumption and utilization, and the, the illusion of self-sufficiency, the state of grace will elude us. We say to ourselves, we don't say it out loud, of course, because we're smarter than that, but we say... We're pretty good people. We work hard. We're not a burden on others. We show up at church. We make our contribution. God got a bargain when he got people like us. (laughs) Didn't have to work so hard, did he? But real grace eludes us. And then when we humble ourselves before God and we surrender our lives and our things to him, when we make thanksgiving, not just a terminal event, a moment, but an attitude of the heart, thanks living, then everything changes. Not, as only, not only does it make you more joyful, and it will, it makes you more generous, it certainly will. And it makes you more gracious, it must. But most importantly, it makes you more conscious of God's presence in all the little things of life, the things that we, we overlook, those things that begin to, to waste away kind of like shriveled fruit on a vine because we neglected them. And in neglect, we lose touch with the rhythms of gratitude and grace, and we just we feel overwhelmed by life. As one of my favorite writers on this topic put it, Mary Jo Letty said, you know, a given life, a given life is different from a driven life. Gratitude has a way of replenishing itself, she said. As more is given, more is received. Thanksgiving. Thanks living. We need both. We need one vastly more than we need the other. 
and thanks living, you'll discover that ancient biblical truth of the people of the way that you have been blessed so that you can be a blessing that you receive and you give freely because somewhere deep down you know that God is the giver of it all. As you celebrate this weekend, as you celebrate today, tomorrow, as you celebrate the terminal event, remember your calling to the lifelong pursuit, to thanks living. Remember the words that Io read so beautifully for us this morning from 1 Thessalonians in chapter 5. Always be joyful. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Happy Thanksgiving, friends. Amen.